We're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, Ron, we're lawyering up, man. Holy smoke. <laughs> Three lawyers. Gotta lawyer up. Gotta lawyer up. Awesome. Uh, you know, I, I just I just want to say that I'm really pleased that you convinced these gentlemen to ditch the billable hour a long time ago, because I can only imagine what this hour would have cost us otherwise. Oh, this I mean, in, we, we'd already be past a hundred bucks with this intro. I mean, right, exactly. There would be <laughs> like we they would meet us with, when we go down to Australia for Verisage Down Under. They would meet us at the terminal, like with the you know bill, and like you're not getting off the plane, you're not getting in unless <laughs> so you, you know all this. <laughs> awesome. So yes, but we are very pleased to have three of our wonderful Verisage colleagues with us. We're going to be discussing value pricing down under as well as the upcoming Verisage symposium that we've been talking about on the show. And I'm going to in introduce these three gentlemen in turn. First, we have John Chisholm is a third generation recovering lawyer. I love that. I'm going to ask you a little bit about that, John. And he works with lawyers and other professionals and assisting them to change their mind, right? And shift away from billing time into value-based principles to become a firm of the future. We have Matthew Burgess, who founded a timeless firm in Australia called View Legal, and he's been doing that for quite some time. I'm going to ask, we'll ask him about to tell a story of that, and I think they, they ditched the timesheets in 2013, so it's been five, six fruitful years. And then lastly, but not leastly, we have managing partner of Moore's Legal, David Wells, who is joining us as well, and we are just thrilled to have you guys on the Soul of Enterprise, so welcome all of you to the Soul of Enterprise. Again. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Ron. Thank you. The chorus, again. Great to be here. <laughs> we and we, yes. <clears throat> yes, we are going to dispense with our, normally when Ron and I have guests on, we kind of alternate back and forth. I'll take the first 15 minutes and Ron will take the next 15 minutes. But we decided that that's just not going to work with this group because the conversation needs to be a little bit more flowing. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you guys on. John, as the senior partner of senior partners here, I'm going to turn to you first <laughs> and, and uh, ask. So first of all, how's, how's, how are things down under today? Well, seeing it's um, 6 a.m. or just after 6 a.m., um, you will be pleased to know, though, that the world made it to uh, Saturday, the 21st of September. Um, <laughs> things, are, things are well down under. I uh, assume when the sun breaks eventually it'll be even nicer where Matthew is I'm in 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 Melbourne in the south of Australia Matthew's in Queensland so I assume the sun's already well and truly up in Queensland Matthew absolutely Mr Chisholm 
But uh, John, just just talking a little bit about this. So you're a third generation recovering lawyer. Does that mean the two two previous generations are also recovering lawyers, or are you the only recovering lawyer of the three? Yeah. Well, my grandfather, I don't think he could say is recovering because he uh, passed away many years ago. Uh, my my father is definitely not recovering. He's um he's in his nineties. I'll have to don't tell him. I've told everyone how old he is, um, and he's still. I uh, got a practicing certificate and practicing lawyer. Does he still go to the office? No, he doesn't. He, his office is his um, is his dining room. Um, he does has a, he works at works works at home. Right. Uh, but you'd be pleased to know he's never ever filled out a timesheet in his life, Ed and Ron. Yeah, he did it by weight, right? He told me the story. <laughs> Weigh the file after they were done. Well, okay. he, he did used to, and now I know this sounds really mar and par kettle stuff, but, and he still does it. He never, ever sent out a bill without ringing a client first. That's brilliant, actually. Gee, wouldn't that be um, revolutionary? Um, yeah. And he would discuss the matter and discuss the bill, and the client was happy, sent out the bill, and... Client wasn't. Maybe he'd, you know, m- make it a bit bit less. But he would never ever send out a bill, so there was no surprises for his clients. Outstanding. And uh, Matthew, turning to you now, just uh, been been without timesheets for six years. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it, that, even that's a little bit misleading because even before that, we were we we're absolutely on the fixed pricing and value pricing. Uh, trail, but uh, doing it inside a very traditional sort of inverted commas to seal, I think one of John's words, uh, big law firms, which um, which prided itself on charging heaps of hours all the time. So a little bit of a mismatch there for a few years, but, but then eventually off in about 2013, never looked back. Should add, we, we gave everyone the choice to continue filling in timesheets if they so desired. Can you imagine and the, uh, the were there any there. takers for that? Were there uh, any takers? <laughs> Funnily, <laughs> a single person took up that offer. It's extraordinary. <laughs> Crazy. That's it insane. It might be an Australian I, thing, Ed. That might, yeah, might, be must be. Must be. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, no they, they love the timesheets other places. And David, as the, the newest to this crazy model, um, what we want to, want to welcome you on board here. But uh, how long have you guys been without timesheets? So... I hadn't realized that our timeline was almost the same as Matthew's. We started pricing for value in 2011, but I did allow people to continue filling out a timesheet for a couple of years. We actually turned off the timesheets from the practice management system in 2013. So that's about the same as Matthew's experience. Ironically, um, a couple of lawyers in our practice did elect to continue filling out timesheets. It made them feel secure and uh, they could look back at the end of the day and they could uh, probably try and console themselves that they had actually done something. I'm not sure why they didn't know that they'd been doing anything without a timesheet, but that's the way it was. But, uh, yeah, we ditched the timesheets in 2013. And, and I, I want to uh, no. Let me just. I just uh, want to ask one yep, question. Right, I'm going to let you take over here. Yep. But and I want to ask all three of you this. I'm going to do it in reverse order that I did this. Um, 
because this is a, a, a thing that's really been been uh, percolating here in the U.S., and that is this a sort of semi-resurgence of this notion of, well, you can go to value pricing, but we'll let you keep the timesheet because it's really, it's, it's okay. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? And let's, we'll, we'll, we'll start with, uh, with David. What do, you, what do you think about that? It's a nonsense. It's not okay. You cannot get really good at pricing for value while you're filling out a timesheet. And so I mentioned this period of two years during which we allowed our people to fill out timesheets after we started pricing for value. Our momentum in terms of our journey with learning how to do value pricing well would have been uh, a lot better if we'd turned off the timesheets immediately. I reckon we probably lost about 12 months because of my failure to get wise in relation to that issue right up front. Okay, great. Thanks. Matthew, what about your thoughts on that? Uh, what he said. I mean, we, our experience. <laughs> and, and having lived and breathed it, I mean, I can only assume the people driving that uh, have the vested interest because they're trying to flog some sort of technology that, <laughs> that allows you to track everyone's time. Or secondly, have never actually done it because while it might be, sound fine in theory and practice, it, it's absolutely not the case. And now, I mean, now we often go back to what we were, you know, when we used to recruit people and it, it's a little bit of a one-liner, but, but unfortunately it's a bit true. You, you know, what's the difference between a good lawyer and a bad lawyer? And the reality is that, you know, the, the bad lawyers make these things last a very long time when they're on timesheets. The good lawyers, even longer. <laughs> and and you say that in joking, but that, that, that that's the mantra. And the, and the minute you are focused on inputs is the minute you can never ever ever get to a position where you're actually pricing for value and, and pricing in a way that the customer is at the centerpiece of the whole equation. Sure. And John, anything to add to that? I oh, no, I absolutely agree with with David and Matthew. You you just can't be half pregnant it's it's so um uh, you keep the time sheets best will in the world um people default to time i i see it all the all the time excuse the pun with with firms that um yeah one section of their their firm they may be genuinely trying to go to at least fixed fees maybe value pricing often because perhaps a client's insisted or something like that but you know when you still have the the REM model or the compensation model and the measurements and rewards around time, um, you're just going to continue to get time and get it in spades. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just so hard. And that's what makes it hard for particularly the bigger firms to to really do that paradigm shift and change. As Ron Baker has always said, and you've said, Ed, um, it's not a billing model change. It's, you know, it's a business model change. And that's what makes it so hard for, for many firms to... Uh, adopt it. Here, take it, Ron. Why do you guys think? Because you're part of Innovim, Innovim uh, Consulting, and you help firms move to this model. Why do you think so many consultants are out there paying lip service to value pricing, but saying at the same time, "But you can keep your timesheets. That issue is a distraction. I don't want to bring that up because it just fosters a lot of dissent and all of that. I mean, why is that? We we all know pricing consultants to the professions that have that line. And I just find that so frustrating. I do believe they're part of the problem, but but why do you think that is? Any of David, you? David, do you <laughs> want to go first before I say anything defamatory? 
We're both going to try and defame no one, but I, I do think that they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. I think they're trying to play both sides of the street. And I, I just think that it's dishonourable in a way. I think that uh, if we profess expertise, we should actually be trying to give our clients guidance about the best way to do stuff. And I, I think it's it's a false premise that uh, you can uh, practice constructively with clients and build relationships while you're filling out a timesheet. And uh, I, I wish that uh, clients would pay no attention to consultants who actually preach that you can play operate on both sides of the street. It just doesn't work. Matthew? I'm going to let John go, but maybe we, he, he'll be beaten by the break and won't be able to defame anyone. Uh, look, I mean, no, no, I, and whether, whether we get to this today, I mean, I, I think, and I know this has been a big topic on this program, but if you start looking at value pricing 2.0, so in other words, subscription, I mean, it, it's just completely untenable that anyone would even remotely think that timesheets are useful in that environment. So I'll stand by my early comment. I, I think the people promoting this either have a vested interest or have never actually uh, actually been involved in a profitable firm that can, value prices. Can I just say one thing, and I won't defame anyone, but, you know, I think it speaks for itself that most of those, if not all of those uh, pricing consultants um, who preach keep the timesheets actually don't keep timesheets themselves. Exactly, John. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Uh, well, we may, we may uh, take that, we may discuss that even further because uh, just, I just, I find the topic absolutely fascinating because any firm that has made the transition as Matthew and David just attested to, they all say uh, unanimously that they, they should have gotten rid of the timesheet sooner. So I think the empirical evidence is out there and to say it otherwise is, is a form of malpractice. But unfortunately, guys, we're up against our break and we'd like to remind you folks, check out the soulofenterprise.com. We'll probably post the full transcript of our show today uh, with our three Australian lawyers. And also, if you'd like to contact Ed or myself, you can do so at asktsoe at verisage.com. Now we want to hear from our sponsors. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah, 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 Whatever. And four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now.
always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise welcome back everybody we are lawyered up at an outrageously hourly rate here so i'm glad it's only lasting an hour but uh david you you made a comment about the the effect of no timesheets on team members. And Matthew talked about this too, about giving people the choice to keep their timesheet. Nobody did. But I remember, David, we spent a day at your firm, me and John, and we got to talk to the team about how they work different as a result of not having the sort of Damocles, you know, the timesheet hanging over their head. And I think it's one of the hardest things to articulate to firms. And I'm, I'm just wondering if you can attempt it because what I got from that day was just a ton of, it's changed our focus from inputs to value. And it, it allows me to do things that maybe we wouldn't have done in the past for the client, more hand holding, more counsel, whatever it might be. But talk about some of those non-quantifiable effects of, of not having a timesheet culture. You mentioned uh, the, the focus on outputs rather than inputs, and that's probably the primary uh, effect. Uh, that, that just was revolutionary for our lawyers, that uh, they realised that uh, what was important was uh, and that they were going to develop with their client about uh, fleshing out the client's objectives for the project, how we was going to be managed. Uh, our people would uh, spend time actually having little celebrations about getting the agreement with the client that our practice was retained to go ahead and deliver the project. And then we uh, get on and actually start delivering after the price agreement was signed. The self-esteem of the lawyers in our practice just Rose, it, it was almost palpable, Ron, and I, I just can't tell you the difference that it has made to morale in our practice. I didn't realise that that was going to be a byproduct. It, it wasn't uh, a primary driver for us in in going down this path of pricing for value. But what a sensational byproduct it's been. Yeah, especially since, you know, Australia seems to write a lot about the link between being on the hamster wheel of the billable hour and mental illnesses, whether it's depression, alcoholism, suicide. And I just think that that is such a big shift and it's so hard to quantify, but it's even so hard to sit there and explain even the narrative form until people live through it. Matthew, how would you, how would you say it's affected your team, change their focus or the culture? Yeah, I mean, the catch cry we use internally, and it's absolutely the case, Ron, is that it, it's taken away this incessant and overriding focus on what's chargeable and flipped our model to what's valuable. And that probably sounds a little bit glib, but in 
particular when you then overlay, as you've just touched on, the mental illness aspect. I mean, that we, we don't like talking about that too much because, um, you know, there's a lot of science to suggest the more you talk about it, the, the, the bigger issue becomes for mm. the, the people that are in that space. But the, the stats are actually quite horrifying, Ron, and it, the professional service firms as a whole have mental illness, you know, it's significantly higher than the general population. Lawyers, even worse again. And, it, you know, it's a, it's a huge issue. And for the industry as a whole to be almost dismissive of that, I, I, we found, frankly, by the end of, of our journey on, on being time billers, it was, it was morally wrong um, from our perspective. And as I said, I don't like to get too high on that, but the reality is the stats don't lie. And there, you know, right back to Martin Seligman, there's been indisputable mm. links between uh, an input-focused journey and mental health. Oh, yeah. And, and certainly, I don't think any of us are arguing that timesheets are the only issue, but it, it's certainly a large factor. Everything I've read from down there says that, that everybody complains about that hamster wheel. It's just amazing. Yeah, it, and it is, and it, and as you say, of course, it's not the only issue, and it's a very sensitive issue. But the the reality is that we we owe an obligation to our people. We felt to, to break that cycle, break that habit. John, I know you consult with a lot of firms and spend a lot of time in front of young lawyers. How, how do you try and articulate this issue? Yeah, look, I think same as what David and Matthew have, have spoken about. It's uh, the, the well-being is certainly, it, it's stressful enough in any of the professions, certainly the legal professions, adding to that, um, you know, I've just got to be seen here, I've got to be doing, I've got to fill out my timesheets the way, you know, the traditional firm or the old law, I call it the old law, um, leveraging people by time by hourly rate is the more money they make is the more they are on the hamster wheel. And, you know, with young lawyers, and we, we all know it, we know many lawyers who have left the profession for principally no other reason that they just, you know, don't want to fill out timesheets. They just don't want to be there for the sake of it. As as Matthew said, they can find, you know, being of value um, to an organisation, even, thank goodness, there's opportunities in, in law firms like Matthew's and, and David's and others out there, but... Until recent times, there wasn't for many of those lawyers that were feeling just just trapped by the business model, and and they had to either leave the profession, perhaps go in house. Um, now, thank goodness, there's more opportunities where they can, you know, be really creative, really look at the outputs and results, and adding value to you know to their clients, to their customers, um, without just looking at having just put all the time. Uh, it, it, at the office, which is still unfortunately, Ron, uh, as I spoke about earlier on, you know, most of the firms just can't change that measurement and reward um, system that they they have in place, and that's that's really hard. And until that changes, um, you know, it is a chicken and egg situation. It's going to be really hard for them to um, not just truly value price, but to do all those things that that Matthew and David talk about. 
Yep. Yep. Well, my, I'm going to, I'm going to lighten up a little bit, but my, uh, <laughs> my daughter was just in a, in a production of the, of uh, Disney's frozen. And uh, you know, as the song goes, we're going to let it go. The past is in the past, right? So we're going to, we're going to move, we're going to let it go. Uh, <clears throat> and what I like to turn our attention to is what Ron has dubbed value pricing 2.0, which is this whole subscription model. And I, I, I understand from Ron Matthew, that this is something that you have started to dabble in a little bit, maybe David and John as well. I just, I, I just know that he specifically talked about you. So what, what are your thoughts on this whole thing? You've heard Ron and I talk a lot about this uh, s- subscription-based model. What do you think it means for lawyers specifically? I know we let, let's, let's narrow the focus a little bit. Yeah, absolutely, Ed. And, and I think from our perspective, uh, you know, value pricing, th- throw out implementing value pricing. It, it's a useless publication. <laughs> it is so yesterday. <laughs> There's something controversial for you. Uh, we're true believers, Ed. And, and I, I know you and Ron, oh, you got to grab it. You just got to throw it out. <laughs> I've got mine here as well. Burn the book. Um, it, it, uh, it has totally, I mean, value pricing, moving off timesheets and value pricing just totally changed our, our business model. Absolutely. We, we feel that subscription is actually going to change our lives as well. It, it is unbelievable. Uh, we, we started with baby steps. We were really trying to provide a subscription model to access some of our intellectual property, whether it be books or audio books or podcasts, whatever it might be. Uh, we've now iterated that at, at really quite significant levels into actual legal solutions, particularly productized solutions. So, you know, in the US, for example, a legal Zoom style solution on a subscription model or you can eat and um it, you know the, you talk about that some of those other businesses that are growing it, it is exponential the growth we're seeing in that space like it's unbelievable the growth in that subscription model and the beauty as the two of you speak about it so regularly is that it is entirely customer centric if you're not delivering every single day every single week i mean it, the subscription gets turned off like it's a pretty <laughs> pretty blunt a uh, piece of feedback that just goes straight to the heart of your business model. So yeah, we're we're in uh, as deep as we can, and we're we're only going to go deeper. Well, that's that's great. And what, what is there anything that you're seeing that that um, has surprised you initially out of the gate with it? Uh, th- th- there's been a few things. I, I think from our perspective, the biggest surprise has been how easy it is to create subscription across a legal product. Because I think when we initially looked at it, we thought, oh, you know, you know of course, if you're, um, you know, if you're selling uh, software, of course, software as a service, as subscription, yeah, no brainer, go for it. Um, we could never do that in the law. Whereas once we've actually peeled away that initial resistance, we actually feel as, as foolish as we feel today about timesheets, we, we actually feel as foolish about it as being that dismissive of subscription in, in the legal space. And uh, David, what about you? Have you done any dabbling in subscription or thinking about it? We certainly have. We don't actually call it subscription, but uh, I think that to the extent that professionals have retainers with their clients, it's a subscription model. And Matthew might be a little bit further down the track than we are at Moore's in relation to subscription. We're a reasonably high-touch practice doing high-value work for clients clients who, uh, certainly in the private client area, aren't always repeat clients. We hope that they they will be as a result of good experience, but I think it does lend itself more to repeat clients. 
And we've had some outstanding results with some of our organisational clients that have become very loyal. And ironically, what we do with the subscription model or the retainer is we value price that arrangement for the retainer. So we would give the client uh, who uh, wants to pay for a year's worth of legal services from our lawyers, three options about how they might like to structure that arrangement over the year. And uh, it's it's a pretty happy combination, actually. Um, we, we had one of our lawyers, Hugh Watson, whom you know, Ed, because he was uh, at uh, the conference in Texas two years ago. Uh, he went on holidays uh, a couple of months ago. He was away for two weeks of the month and... I was astounded. He was still one of our top billing lawyers for the month, <laughs> even though he wasn't present. Now, I know he had his phone with him. He was doing a little bit of work while he was away, but uh, he blitzed um, uh, everybody else. And uh, I, I won't tell you how much he billed in that month, but uh, it was very, very encouraging for him and for me. Right. The power, the power of, uh, of making money as you sleep with the subscription model. But we are we're on vacation uh, and we're up against our next break. want to remind you that in order to get a hold of Ron or me, you can send an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the website is the soul of enterprise where you can get show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. And we're going to talk about in an upcoming seg- segment about the Verisage Down Under Conference. If you want more information about that, go to either the soul of enterprise.com slash VDU or Verisage verisage.com slash VDU and that will be will take you to the site where there's all of the information and links to how to get registered for that conference but right now a word from our sponsor the future of online TV is here view exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else visit voiceamerica.tv today Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials commercials plus bonus content go to patreon.com slash tsoe subscribe now and be free you're worth it from the boardroom to you voice america business network We're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. 
And back on the Soul of Enterprise. And Ron and I often joke that this is the, the quote, fastest hour of our week. But I got to tell you, this is flying by even more quickly. And now I understand why at various age events, we, you know, I end up at, at four o'clock in the morning and thinking, oh, is it bedtime? I was like, <laughs> the, so, like now, I, now I'm beginning to understand what's going on there. Uh, John, I want to turn to you and just pick up on the theme that we left in the last segment. And, and that is this notion of subscription-based pricing. And in your work with talk, to, to firms and uh, speaking to them, one of the things that Ron and I are finding with subscription is that the concept resonates a lot more quickly than did value pricing when we first started talking about it. Um, I don't know why this is. Maybe it's because people subscribe to other stuff in their lives and that, that's the, the framework that they have. But are you finding that as well, that people wrap their mind around it a little bit quicker? Ed, I'd love to say yes, but I think they do understand. They do understand the concept. Are they actually actioning it? You can relate to subscription models everywhere in our business and personal lives, and and what have you. Um, and I think for law firms, it's still if they're doing anything major in that case of apart from Matthew's firms and a couple of others, it's still down the retainer model. They do understand that and all the benefits that, 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 that come with that. Uh, but, you know, uh, actioning it, you know, getting to what, you know, we would call value pricing 2.0 is still really hard. I, I haven't seen it, some of the accounting firms, uh, some of the bookkeepers and all that tend to be doing it more, I have to say, in um, my experience, at least here in Australia, I, I think it will, um, um, you know, will take off um, um, quicker because, you know, value pricing still has that, I, I don't know what it is, it, it just seems threatening or whatever to many firms yet talking about retainers and, and subscription they do understand, but I still think there's a huge gap. I don't know whether David or Matthew um, would agree with this between actually understanding it and then being able to implement it within their current business model, within their current measurement and reward structures is still a challenge for, for many firms. Some of them have got separate areas or they've purchased, um, here, at least here in Australia, they've, they've you know purchased some some business which may be more in the technology space. Certainly, Matthew, the accounting firms have, have done it here and they're going heading down the subscription model quicker in, in, in that part of their practice. Oh, okay. Uh, thanks, Ed. Um, you guys, you know, it's obvious to me, it's been obvious to me since I made my first trip to Australia in 2000 that Australia punches far above its weight in terms of innovation. And you, the last time you guys were on collectively was back in February, 2016. We were talking about the implications of Daniel Susskind's book, The Future of the Professions, Daniel and Richard Susskind. He's got a new book coming out, by the way, called The End of Work. And I just wanted to ask the three of you, uh, and David, I'll start with you. What other types of innovations do you see in law firms in Australia that are going on besides value pricing 2.0 or even value pricing 1.0. Uh, do you see a lot of artificial intelligence or machine learning or other types of innovation that you've been intrigued by or impressed by? There's certainly uh, a, a wave of 
uh, innovation with technology. Uh, probably a bit of a sceptic that uh, the technological innovation is actually going to deliver sustainable benefits because everybody catches up. Sourcing was an innovation and, of course, when everybody started outsourcing, uh, it, it wasn't really... Uh, something that was uh, delivering uh, any uh, su sustainable advantage to a firm. I think that uh, one of the real ways that practices can innovate effectively is in relation to their business model. And if they actually start narrowing their focus and building a, a depth of ex expertise the way that Tim Oh, David, you're cutting out there. Matthew, why don't I jump to you? Actually, oh, be, there you go. Uh, and, uh, oh, you're cutting out, David. I, I, Matthew, I'll jump. I take over. <clears throat> yeah, Matthew, go ahead. Thanks, John. And I should actually call, I don't know if that comes up on the screen for those watching along at home, I should call that out on how quickly this goes. I'm actually struggling big time today, Ed, because I only ever listen to you guys on double time. So <laughs> why are they talking so slowly? Well, what, is the connection bad? <laughs> that's funny. Well, Ed's Texas, you know, so it's... Oh, is that what it is? No, no, he's New York. He actually talks really fast. Well, I'm going to do an, a gratuitous plug for uh, Verisage Down Under. I don't know if this is the right moment to do oh, it. Oh, good. I'd, yeah, I'd no actually, I disagree a little bit with David uh, in terms of how much the subscription model and, and how much innovation could be coming through. And maybe it's... It's just saying the same thing, but a different perspective. From our, our end, I think the interplay, the digital disruption interplay in the legal space, I don't think anyone in the room currently can, can really see where that's going. And we've had a bit of an insight on this in terms of the joint venture we've done with a fintech company here in Oz. Uh, you know, it's, it's the old, is it the Twain quote? I, I, you don't need to be worried about the second best swordsman in the forest. You need to be worried about the someone who comes in from the side and, and just does not play by the rules at all. So, Ron, to actually answer your direct question, I, I think the number of solopreneurs just seems to be overwhelming at the moment. The, the ability to just walk out of big law and set up a really profitable, interesting value pricing practice within a week uh, has become all-encompassing. We're seeing like just hugely talented people coming out of the machine yeah. and doing their own thing. And when you have hugely talented people doing that, the innovation uh, becomes over, you know, just becomes unbelievably compelling. So from our perspective, I think while the digital disruption does have the potential to democratise us all, if you're like Apple, and, and that's certainly the, the model we're trying to build. And you can build an ecosystem that it becomes almost impossible for people to change ships on. I think what's actually happening potentially is that there's businesses being built that people turn around in, I don't know how long, maybe three, maybe five years, maybe ah, oh, oh, that's what you were doing. Oh, right. And, and oh, yeah, we can't join that game because we didn't get on the ship at the right time. So... Look, might be wrong, but, but maybe that's part of the discussion that we'll be having at Verisage Down Under. That's awesome. John, how about you? Yeah, look, I, I agree with that. I, I think one of the, even the move to 
value pricing, move to the sort of models that, that Matthew's talked about. Um, uh, it, it's being bottom-up driven, I have to say, at least in terms of size and, uh, and numbers. And, you know, the, the work that we're doing through the Innovum Group is mainly with, you know, sole practitioners, entrepreneurs, um, smaller firms that just felt trapped, refugees from old law or, or big law, but they can. They can utilise technology to get to, you know, where they want to go. It's, it's not the driver, but they're utilising that, but it just allows them to do so much, much more quickly than what, you know, could in my day or, or you know, even five years ago. And I think think that will only exponentially increase. Um, I think it's exciting from uh, you know from from that point of view. And Ron, as you've always said, the those that have the most to lose will be the last to change. And I think you know, big law, old law, um, you know, will, will be the, the last to change. And look, let, let's be frank about it. For for many, still particularly at the big end of town. Um, they, you know, doing quite well financially. At least some of those people in those firms are doing quite well financially and they're not about to change the business model anytime soon. Yeah. So I really do think it's bottom-up um, um, driven. And, you know, we, we should be, you know, just, just a plug for Australia, but quite proud of some of the um, technological advances we're, we're making here and some of it that's been exported to your country and others around the world. But at the end of the day, it's, 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 it's the mindset. It's the, that's, that's really driving that. Um, and that you can't, you know, you can't release the entrepreneurship in those sort of people if they're part of the big old law structure. I don't think anyway. Right. Right. Some of the, yeah. So. No, no. I was, I was just going to say that it's too bad because these big firms, they have the resources and if they ever did step up and, and attempt to do this value pricing 1.0 or 2.0, they, they, would, they would be great at it. I, look, I don't know whether I'm going to be around to see it, but one day one of those firms will do it, whether the penny drops or it's, you know, they get to the tipping point. And we are a profession, I have to say, in the main of sort of lemmings. And you, you, you watch when one of the big firms do it. May not be a law firm. Um, just, just watch the others follow. We, we see it in so many other um, areas of of what what they do. But until then, I think you know firms like David and Matthews and and other firms that you know we know and work with certainly here in Australia. Um, they're they're reaping the rewards, not just the financial rewards, but the um, um, you know the the self satisfaction, the self esteem rewards. You know that first mover advantage, and justifiably they should. They've been courageous. They've 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 taken you know a leap of faith to some degree, um, you know, and made the paradigm shift. And well, long may that continue. Ron, it might be blind arrogance. It's Matthew jumping in again, but I, I, we, we spent a lot of time consulting in inverted commas or chatting to some of these bigger firms to try to help them because we, we believe that it's actually best for everyone. That, as you say, that if we can all rise, it, it's best for everyone. Um, it's a pretty easy litmus test, though, because if you casually drop in, okay, and, and how do you track what you're doing? 
and without missing a beat, they go, oh, yeah, well, we all still fill in timesheets. <laughs> it's a pretty short discussion. <laughs> I'm not, not real concerned about what you guys are going to be doing anytime soon. Yeah. Well, Matthew, I think the first time we met in Brisbane, you were in one of those big firms. Correct. You probably thought I was crazy. Uh, it, it changed my life, Ron. You've heard me share that story. I mean, I, I, I actually owe my life to you and, and your vision because it, you, I did. I, I could not get it. I'd read Firm of the Future I, and I could not join the dots on it. But, um, but sitting with you that day uh, was enough. It was the last piece in the puzzle for me to, to actually get with the program. Wow, Ed, can we end on that? Because I yeah, I was gonna say I was gonna end uh, enough with the get get a room, guys. Get a room. Right, we're gonna, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't obvious that I was reading off the script. There was an end. Yeah, no, it's, it's all good. It's all good. But we're gonna we're gonna take a, take our break now. I want to remind you, you can get a hold of Ron or me. The email address is asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, we are out on Twitter, so hashtag asktsoe as well as the handle at tosoe if you want to contact us. Last thing I would ask that you do is to put your rate your your podcast equipment on pause right now and run out and rate the show and if you really want to ingratiate yourself toward us write a review and we will be happy to read that on the air but right now a word from our sponsor and my employer sage follow us on twitter at voice america trn get the lowdown on guests new shows and your favorites that's voice america trn Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing Hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise everybody we are lawyered up today on the soul of enterprise and in the last segment gentlemen let's talk about the bear sage down under symposium uh, symposium has a very specific word. I'll let I'll let Ed describe that. But but John, what what are the plans? Pull back the curtain for us. Yeah, well, we've got two great days. Um, well, in fact, there's two events. There's the symposium, which is being held in Geelong, which is about uh, 100 
80 kilometres from Melbourne, so two wonderful days. You'll be surprised and know there'll also be some wine consumed at some stage, <laughs> Australian Australian wine. But no, we've we've got, um, you know, we're going to be talking about positioning and Ron and Ed, we, we, we all know you can't separate pricing from, you know, positioning your, your practice. We're certainly going to be spending, uh, you know, a fair bit of time talking about the subscription business model and behavioral economics and heuristics. Um, certainly in the Novum group, David, Liz and I are doing a lot of work around that area and just how, uh, you know, we all know <laughs> humans do not usually make rational um, decisions. So what, what's the impact of, of that on, you know, firms' marketings, firms' pricing and, and the value they can deliver to their customers? Uh, AI and technology, after action reviews, um, just how that is really transforming firms and um, you know, some talking about strategic cost transformation. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be, and, you know, those that have been to the symposium, the various stage symposiums before, uh, know that just things take off and there'll be a lot of other stuff that will be talked about. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, we've got really good numbers. We can still use a few more that uh, come. There's, there's still some seats available. And, but prior to that, so that's on the 14th and 15th of November. Prior to that, there's a one-day workshop called Transforming Your Firm, uh, which is you know, Liz Harris, David Wells and myself and Kirk Bowman from Art of Value. So we're running a full-day workshop um, in, in Melbourne on the 12th of November. So it's going to be a big, big week, uh, but a great week. Matthew and his team is uh, down there and, yeah, we're, we're just so looking forward to it. And I certainly am and I am and I appreciate the support from the Verisage founders and followers, uh, fellows. Um, so, yeah, um, I don't know. David, Matthew, your insights into it? Have I left anything out? Well, I hope you can still hear me, gentlemen. Yes. If you can't. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful gathering. I'm looking forward to... Uh, meeting lots of new friends uh, who are coming from far and wide, as well as old friends from North America and the UK and the, uh, the Australasian contingent is extremely excited about it. Uh, I've got uh, probably a dozen people from the Moores practice who are coming and there are people from other value pricing practices such as Hive Legal and uh, there are people who have been in the Innovum Align pricing program who are so excited about uh, coming along as well and meeting more luminaries. Fantastic. Great summary, John and, and David as well. I think the only two things I'd add are it's unbelievable what can happen when you get super smart people, and I'm excluding myself from that, but super smart people in a room. I mean, I... People talk about the Verisage headache and it, it starts from normally within about 20 minutes in and does not stop for the full two days. It, it is unbelievable. You, I, every time I've got more value out of this conference symposium than, than anything I go to in the, in the entirety of the previous year. So it, like, I cannot understate how important it is to our business. 
it may feel a little bit cultish, but it's a good kind of cult and it's the kind of cult you want to be part of. And the reason for that, I think, ultimately is to a person, people are just unbelievably generous. Like it's it's just, as I said, I don't know what wine you, you guys serve up, but there's just something in that room that means it's everyone's there to see everyone lifted up and, and the generosity is yeah, without peer. So counting down the sleeps would be the way to say it, Ron. Awesome. Ed, tell the truth. What symposium mean? What do we really do at this thing? <laughs> it, it's funny that you mentioned that, Ron. The, the word symposium is Greek for to drink together. <laughs> there you and, go. Uh, <laughs> in 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 ancient Greece, when they had these gatherings of all of the intellectuals, the, the they would you know be serving some wine. And my favorite part of this story is that there's a head of the uh, the, the symposium who's known as the symposiarch. That's right, was head of so symposiarch. So I think John, you're appointed the symposiarch and the symposiarch's job was not only to keep things on time and keep things moving, right, but also keep the level of alcohol right at the right level to ah. maintain the flow, right? So that, and, and they, you know, what they would do is they would at the time mix water and wine together. So that's, you know, that was, that's the deal. Ed, thank you. Um, I, 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 you know, it's my birthday this week. At last, I found my calling. Yeah, you can now yeah, add symposiarch, symposiarch to your title. Yeah. Good, good. Ed's just trying to deplete all that wine behind you, John, in your office. That's trying to cut into that. Uh, well, there, there, there will be plenty of that, but as Matthew says, I, I assure you the Verus H headache will not be solely attributed to uh, uh, Australian wine. It, it may help, but it is because of the um, stimulating discussion. And, and I can only, uh, you know, I've been to four, five or six of these now and just learn so much. And the, as Matthew said, the generosity that's shared, you know, by the likes of you and, and others. And, you know, we, we, we all learn so much. And, and those that even come for the first time and uh, think that, you know, they're going to be in awe. We've all seen how they've added value to symposiums in the, in the, in the past. And, uh, yeah, I think it's wonderful. And, you know, the, the, the return, the people that are coming that have been, been before, but um, as, as David and Matthew said, just um, it's very exciting. And there are a lot of, um, you know, a lot of professionals, not just lawyers, I have to say, that are coming and not just from Australia, but we've got um, the US, we've got the UK, we've got the Middle East, we've got Russia, we've wow. got uh, from Amsterdam. Um, yeah, so it's it's terrific. So it's going to be amazing time. Yeah, and one of the things that I just love about it, like you said, John, is is the organic nature of it. And every time there's going to be somebody who who we haven't met before give this knock your socks off presentation that might not be the best presentation from a presentation standpoint, but has such rich content that you're just blown away. So anyway, well, our hour is already up. So I'm glad with the, the time we could stop your watches, gentlemen, watches. you can stop yeah. to, to fill out your timesheet one hour, but uh, want to invite you guys to stay on if you can for, we're going to record a little bit of a bonus episode, but we have to wrap things up here on voice America. So Ron, what do we got coming up next week? Next week, Ed, we got Free Rider Friday for the month of September. All right, awesome. I'll see you in 167 hours.
This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. That's 1 p.m. Pacific and who knows what time in Australia. In the meantime, please feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. <laughs>